Comics Podcast. This is episode 11, uh, the Halloween episode with uh, Matthew Myers. Actually, it might be 12. I'm stupid. <laughs> no, because the other one was 10B. Remember, it was like the second part? Oh, well, I just did one with Hector, too, so, yeah. Oh. Yeah, that was my bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, so, so, scratch that. Welcome to Two Nova Comics Podcast. This is episode 12. Uh-huh. <laughs> Matthew Myers. Uh, I just realized, technically, it's episode 13, and it's the Halloween one, so it's kind of a cool one. Oh, wow, yeah. yeah. That's really cool. That is cool. <laughs> oh. Okay. Thanks for Let's having me, guys. <laughs> Definitely. So, uh, for anyone out there, tell us who you are and what do you do? Uh, well, my name is Matthew Myers. I've been um, a horror writer for a couple years, written um, for the websites The Bloodshed, Attack from Planet B, and done numerous um, uh, single pieces for other sites. And I got into screenwriting a couple years ago and was trying to sell some horror spec scripts. And I wrote... Um, a screenplay called Down by Contact, and it was something that I really liked, and I had a couple offers on it, and uh, from independent uh, film companies in Canada, and it was something that I decided I was going to keep and um, produce into a film myself. The issue was I didn't know much about uh, filmmaking at all at the time, and I realized how much money it was going to cost both pre and uh, post production, so I decided to adapt the medium into a comic, and I have it here. And I'll show you. Um, yeah. Everybody can see it here. Yep. And um, how it uh, came to be is I was searching for an. Well, how? Uh, I'll talk about how it was written. Um, basically, it's inspired by the works of George Romero. Night of the Living Dead mostly is its biggest inspiration, but um, there's some nods in it to Dawn of the Dead as well and um, Tales from the Dark Side. And I wanted to write a story that paid homage to classic horror and pre-code horror and the stuff that really influenced me as a writer and as a, as a horror fan in general. Um, started out, um, I didn't know where exactly I was going to go with the script, so I just started free-writing different scenes and wound up piecing it all together. I didn't know much about character development at the time, so I basically created a period piece with a chaotic situation with a bunch of friends that were on their way to compete at an arcade for a uh, Mortal Kombat tournament, and then all hell breaks loose with a zombie uh, apocalypse starts right in, uh, in the middle of it. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> yeah, you got the. Let's see, wait a yep, that kind of covers that question. Yeah. Let's see. We got here. Right, right. Wow, the sirens. Baltimore. Um, <clears throat> oh, yeah, so, wow, the sirens are loud. <laughs> um, Part of the sirens in the background, I live in Baltimore City. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm all, also, uh, for everybody talked about before, I'm broadcasting from, uh, hold on, got a notification, I'm broadcasting from uh, Edgar Allan Poe's gravesite. Uh, shout, you can see here. That's a pretty good shot. Right, this this bush right here, his uh, grave is right behind it. Very cool. Yeah, walk over here. What? Oh, no, it's only coming from yeah, his... Yeah, there it is here. Yeah, he's outside. to be uh, very fitting, considering the subject, and plus it's five minutes from my house, and I have four cats. I didn't <laughs> want them jumping around on the screen, them being the star and not me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, actually talking about cats, you have a Kickstarter coming up at some point soon. Um, 
I do. Marbles the cat. So what is that yes. all about? This is um, a switch for me. I wanted. I've had this idea for a while, and um, I've been trying to get as much completed as I can with actually starting it because I wanted to finish the Down by Contact project first. Um, basically, it's a sci-fi adventure. It's a sci-fi adventure. I wrote about a, a, a rescue cat in a futuristic setting where he's protecting his family from a race of alien uh, miniature alien robots that are invading his property um it's an eight page comic uh front and back so it'll be 16 pages in length so it's relatively short but it's cool and um i'm planning on donating 10 percent of all comic sales to help the national aspca and i have some really cool perks for getting um the public involved including with that much space with the comic being short I want to be able to have people's cats in print. Um, there's going to be pledges to actually become uh, the other cats in the um, use your likeness for your 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 pet in it with the other cats, even be Marvels himself or the family dogs. So we're not leaving anybody out. Um, mm -hmm. The marketing reach I already have for it is um, pretty huge because uh, making this comic down by contact, I raised sixteen hundred and five dollars in thirty days on Kickstarter. Um, that was the first Kickstarter I did. I did it all by myself. I had no idea what I was doing for about three weeks in, but it still did pretty well. With this one, I'm going to have a huge reach because um, the cat groups on Facebook have already given me permission to post in there and just having everybody share. There's 50,000 people in each cat group, and I'm a member of eight of them. Sure. So this is, this is going to be good. This is going to be a huge reach. Um, it's for a good cause, and it's... Um, uh, and the concept photos and um, everything for these robots look really awesome. It's, um, you know, there, there's one that has, like, its brain in its stomach, uh, kind of like Krang, and then it has hoses coming out of its body, like, um, into other parts of it to be able to function. Um, there are other miniature ones have little ray guns and blasters similar to, like, uh, the Invaders episode of the Twilight Zone. Um, you know, they, they'll have different things. And because it's a futuristic setting with... Um, uh, the, the environment, Marvels will have some uh, superpowers too. He's going to have a bionic tail, be able to uh, shoot lasers out of his eyes, and also um, shoot orbs of light out of his out of his claws, uh, similar to like the bolt shot in Halo. So he's going to have some weapons to be able to take these things down and bust up their ship and get them out of there. It's um, the yeah the script has been um, received real well and uh, looking for probably a January launch after uh, the new year. That's cool. That's awesome. It's funny, I got like so many different ideas. It sounded like a combination of like toy, because you said they're like little, the little uh, robots that are attacking. Yes. Like, like cat size kind of thing, like little tiny things. Yeah, they're about a foot tall. You yeah, know, so, some, some, yeah, something for a cat. I mean, they're armed too, but with Marvel's having special powers, I mean, it's a sci-fi superhero adventure with, with animals, really, is what it is. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like, uh, what's it called, that toy soldier movie. Yeah. <laughs> with the military intelligence aside the toy dolls, yeah, that was yeah, fantastic. That was, <laughs> I was thinking it was like that meets, like, you know, Tom and Jerry. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Shenanigans of just a cat trying to fight off toys, essentially, but uh, they're aliens. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's pretty good, man. It was something I had... Um, I didn't want to do horror for my next comic, but I wanted to keep it in the genre of, um, you know, either science fiction, something with a little bit more action, because this one is methodical and creepy, and I wanted to do something with a little more upbeat, uh, reach a bigger market, and try and, uh, you know, really establish myself as a, as a legit comic writer and producer. So I figured um, if I wrote something like this, and at the same time, obviously, I have four rescue cats myself. I love animals. I do everything I can to help them. This is going to be a really good plan to... Um, 
help the national ASPCA also help BARCS, which is B-A-R-C-S, it's the Baltimore um, uh, Rescue Center, which has really good partnerships with uh, some of the pet stores in Baltimore where you can adopt cats there. So they have them at the shelter once they're okay and um, have all their shots and everything, they're actually in the pet store for free adoptions. So it's a really good program and I'd like to find a way to get them involved as well. Yeah, that's, that's incredible because it's very important like for indie creators to realize that you can't just have everyone be your audience. It has to be a very specific niche that you can get into. Like everyone, everyone knows about superheroes, and that's why you know people can like Marvel. But if if that's not if like if you're not already established like that, the way that you really build a you know a big audience is starting very very small and making sure that whoever it is that you're catering to is like they love your work. So that's right, definitely, right. that's definitely very cool. It's very niche and it still sounds interesting. So that's awesome. yeah, yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited to see the project develop. Um, I have some concept photos, like I said. I got a couple people that I'm working with. Um, I'm surprised this is when I reached out to some artists about it because I haven't selected one yet, but there's a lot of people that want to be involved and want to do concept photos uh, for the Kickstarter, you know, with hopefully being chosen. So I'm actually have people comp competing, artists competing to be a part of this project. That's how I know it's going to be big. Um, very exciting. Very it's actually exciting. very cool. I, one thing, I don't know if you've thought about this, but... Uh, if, if one of your reward levels is something like a poster or like a print of he does have prints uh, yeah yeah if you do in the prints then right. what you can do is if you if you give options on different artists prints so you can also figure out based on which uh art which prints get requested most right uh, for which artist to go with yeah yeah that's that's a good idea that's a good idea what's nice about um doing kickstarter and crowdfunding in general is i can i can uh do pre-sales on everything to see what the actual budget is of how many people I can get involved too. Because, like you said, I also like to have the option to do varying covers. Um, I would like to produce um, more uh, content inside with selling advertising, which I was able to do with Down by Contact. Um, I actually I sold advertising space inside the book at the end, and uh, that worked out well to getting the cost together for the uh, printing. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, we actually talked about, uh, we've been talking about marketing just like you and me, uh, right. a lot. And you mentioned Twitter, like as one of your major platforms they use. So like, why it do you, it really is, yeah. um, more than Instagram, Twitter for me has been, I have 1800 followers on there and, um, Twitter for me with, um, sharing media, har related, um, uh, uh, artwork, marketing artists, and different things of um, in one genre has been really valuable because I get a lot of retweets. Therefore, it gets out more within the same market. And it's a really good way to target your audience because I have a lot of comic creators, a lot of comic readers that follow me. Also, um, horror fans, obviously, because I'm a horror writer. But there's a lot of people out there that started following me when I was writing for The Bloodshed. And when I was writing for The Bloodshed, I, I was in charge of Twitter, that's what got me into it, and actually using it to spread media. And um, when, you, when you target media like that, it gets more in front of an audience on um, Twitter than it does on Instagram. Instagram's more for pictures, you know, you can, you can do comics and artwork on there, but you don't have the reach as you have with people on Twitter because so many different people are following you that aren't necessarily looking at those hashtags. 
And if I, I was able to, to get most of my Kickstarter pledges outside of uh, my friends and family, or all, all came from Twitter, it really didn't come from the Facebook marketing I was doing. But, um, you know, the hashtags are pretty much the same for art, for comics. And, um, you know, when you start showing and promoting other people's work, they start doing the same for you. And it's kind of like, a you know, indie creators got to stick together. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually one of the reasons we started the, the whole indie revolution. We wanted to uh, amplify everyone's voice because you might know someone who likes someone else's comic, and they might know someone that would like your comic. And it's better than trying to... Uh, you know, compete against each other because people like different things. So yeah, you know, there's no reason to try to corner any market and not let anyone in because honestly, like with specifically with indie creators, the only way that uh, you can get a large enough voices by all working together. Somebody told me one time, um, most places that have a Walmart have a target right across the street. They open up next to each other because they both wind up doing better. And if you think about it, even though they are competitors uh, to the sense, they're not trying to undercut each other to the point where I'm going to put you out of business. How about we both stay here so people can come and enjoy both? And I think in the art community, and the same with music, when you have a music label with a bunch of different bands that play the same stuff on it, they can go on tour together, split those expenses. They can be on the same album label together and produce songs together, and it just cuts a lot of the, the nonsense of the business out and it, it, the expense wise and then you're also able to be um, stronger and reach a bigger market and it's the same thing with indie creators with comics um, that's one thing about your site which I like about how it's subscription based I, I think a store where people could sell hard copies of their comics in your forum would be really good because anybody that has their comic on there, and of course I'll have mine up there, um, anybody that has it on there is going to push it so other people can see their stuff as well as everybody else's. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and yeah, that, that's actually a pretty uh, interesting fact, like the Walmart Target. It makes sense because not everyone who shops at Walmart would shop at Target and vice versa. So by sitting in an area... You're drawing people there in general because there's more than one store, and then you right. naturally divide into wherever you want to go, as that opposed is, to having you know completely separate parts of the city. So it's it's, it's very uh, that, that makes sense. That's kind of I never I never thought about it that way until someone gave me that example myself, and that's that's why I like to use it because it's true. It's um, when you have everybody that's in one thing sticking together and putting out uh, content together where everybody can see a whole bunch of content everybody just sells more and does well that's the same principle with uh, you know comic cons in general you know all the people that are going there are obviously comic fans um everybody that doesn't have a huge web presence can at least get into a comic con get a table for a, an affordable price and they're able to um uh, get their work out in front of a lot of people and a lot of foot traffic through. This is basically the same thing, except it's on the internet. Yeah, it's actually funny. That's actually exactly how, like, a mall works. Typically, there's, like, a Sears, which and I know they're all closing, which ironically is going to cascade <laughs> to other malls closing as well. But right. basically, like, the Sears, the Macy's, the big department stores are typically... I, there's a name... I can't the name anchor store. It's, it's the, um, you know, the anchor store. Without that store none of the other businesses will ever get foot traffic. In fact, right, right. most of the time, like a Sears or a Macy's, they don't even pay for their area of the mall. They're actually given it for free knowing that it's going to bring foot traffic to the rest of the mall. And so, and so what ends up happening is if one of those stores leaves because it's like the Comic-Con, it's, like it's like the main attraction. If that leaves, none of the little stores get anything either. 
So yeah. it's interesting because you might go to the mall because of something else that's there and still end up in the Sears or Macy's. And so it's still it's still mutually beneficial. Absolutely. Yep. And if you look at, like you said, about malls closing, even um, back in the day when Kmart was still uh, pretty powerful and uh, Sears and everything, once the Sears leaves the mall, it just becomes really bad. Uh, everything else starts to fold and it, it becomes basically a dirt mall. You know, it's um, there's there's nothing in there. But I have seen a lot of these malls when I went um, home to Pennsylvania, where I'm actually from. Uh, there's this mall in Whitehall next to the Lehigh Valley Mall. The Lehigh Valley Mall is pretty standard, very commercial, very big, a lot of restaurants, you know, four floors. But the Whitehall Mall up the street has always been a dump. And what's kept it alive uh, for years was uh, even in the late 90s up to like 2005 were the two arcades that they had in it. And now it's the two comic book stores because nobody will rent anything out of there anymore. Um, I think there's like three stores in the entire mall, but they still keep it open. But they have multiple comic stores in there because the rent's so cheap that they can afford to set up shop there, which I thought was kind of cool. That, that is cool. Like, I wish more of, like, the, the malls that are getting smaller and can't keep people there. Because there's a couple that, um, you know, were around my hometown as well. And it's like, if they could just get... Uh, if they would just go after, like, a niche and instead, yeah, get a bunch of comic book stores, get arcades, get... You know those uh, what is it? Those escape the room. You know. Yeah. Yes. Like, escape the room. Like that, you know, like right. record stores too. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Something. Something that uh, you know, similar-minded people or things that would attract uh, you know, various niches that usually overlap. It's a good idea to grab them. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, there's actually a mall that. Uh, since it's around like where Dylan used to live well kind of uh, my hometown there's a mall and it's pretty shitty and the right. Kmart just left like oh, wow. I think it was the last one of the, it was the last Kmart around here and uh, that lasted like pretty like long time but um, that that finally left and now it's just like an FYE and like two things in the food court. <laughs> yeah, well, five like, and bo- what is it? A five below dollar store, the food court. Yeah, and, then, a, yeah, and then the movie like, theater, yeah. which is the one move. The one thing I like about that mall is the movie theater, but everything else is like just just trash. <laughs> yeah, they probably have matinee prices all the time. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's, like that's the, what's good. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, that's, yeah, that, there's another mall I think uh, near near Greg as well that similar thing like everything closed down but like there's the movie theater and like two other shops right yeah greg you want to do the uh the lightning round questions okay um yeah so lightning round questions uh there's just three and you just try to answer as fast as you can like first thing that comes to your head um okay, okay. so uh favorite horror movie of all time night of living dead Hands down. Okay. Uh, favorite food? Uh, Maryland blue crabs. Oh, okay. <laughs> and um, if you were a killer in a horror movie, what sort of weapon would you use? Knife. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. Okay. I mean, it's if if I was in a horror film, it's it, I would want to write a personal story. It, uh, no, there's nothing more personal uh, than a, you know, I mean, some slasher films can be kind of campy, but when there's a story behind a killer that's using a knife, it's usually pretty savage and personal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so on our podcast, usually we talk about like crowdfunding a lot, uh, even mm-hmm. though we're not like the comics launch podcast, but uh, 
we're trying in a way to be sort of like that, but being our own thing. What well, you tip- did a good job on yours, on the Kickstarter you just ran. Yeah, because you actually, yeah. like, you were one of the first to back us, and you gave us, like, $104, so yeah. that, that helped yeah, us. Yeah. Right well, I got to support the indie comics, man. You you were one of the first ones to reach out to me to put my digital copy on your site, too, yeah. on your subscription service, so, you know, we gotta got to help each other. Hope to be more involved uh, with your site and creative and uh, content and as well as marketing. I think it's great what you guys are doing. The um, the backing, um, anytime you get a backer on Kickstarter, it, it pushes you up in, in the search and in the feed. So even if you have, say, 15 backers with only $20, you're still getting seen more than people that have four or $500. That's yeah. why it's important to put those low um, dollar pledges up there for a dollar or two to, to you know, either have your name in print or, you know, people that just want to support something that don't have a lot of money, you know, that sharing is invaluable too because a lot of people that don't pledge just be, for whatever reason that they can't, uh, they're still sharing it and getting in front of people from it. And I, I'm sure you, you saw when you ran your Kickstarter how you get emails every day from marketing places and, you know, every other day this and that. Finally, I made one. It was like, look, I'm not paying you to do something I could do better and faster myself, so stop emailing <laughs> me this. If you want to do it for free, I'll put your name in the comic, and then you don't hear from that shit anymore. <laughs> yeah. so that, was, that was the end of that. But um, that type of marketing and cultivating and doing it yourself is really, you know, crowdfunding, that's that's what it is. It's trying to get the crowd to, or well, not the crowd, but the, the community to back something and help put it together. Well, not all of those people that, that can back it financially um, can do that. They, or I'm sorry, the people that can't back it financially that are unable to can still share it. Yeah. And that's where the it really starts to eat into uh, the Internet, as I call it. It eats the Internet. It just gets in front of a lot of people. And then next thing you know, um, the hashtags are flying. I mean, towards the end of my campaign, people on uh, Twitter were like, wow, all I see right now on my feed is down by contact because I have so many people sharing it. You know, and I was I was a, unknown as a comic writer because uh, this was my first comic, but I had a small uh, uh, fan base of just reading my articles uh, that I've written for the Bloodshed and Attack from Planet Beast. So it was very, um, very important for me to have that exposure, and it, it helped get the comic funded. Yeah, yeah. You know, and honestly, if you go to those uh, marketing companies, it, you you lose the personal touch that is what makes people interested in indie comics to begin with. Like without right. being connected to the the artist, the author, or the creator, just something someone involved with the creation of these comics, like it doesn't make them as interesting because you could just go to a Marvel or DC for some of this stuff. So you, why why come to a unique creator? And it's typically because you connect with them in some way. Right, absolutely, and really, all they're doing is spamming people anyway. They say they get they get it in front of four or five hundred people. They're just collecting up addresses from those uh, fake petitions that are on Facebook, and then they buy that information, <laughs> or they, you know, they they have those fake accounts that have like sixty four thousand followers, and they're nothing but but bots, and they just spit it out amongst each other. You know what what I do, and what I've I've always specialized in is targeted marketing to the the targeted audience. So I, I try to get it in front of them. And I didn't really, I mean, I asked, I beat up my friends and family about it. I'm like, yo, give me a pledge, you know, give me some money. And um, <laughs> the, uh, uh, most of the other people that, uh, that I talked to, I was just like, here, check this out. Uh, please share it. And if you like it, pledge. And I had, you know, uh, within a couple of days, I, I grew like 500 in, in, in sales and pledges from people I didn't know who they were. Yeah. It was, it was 
pretty awesome, man. I was, uh, I just saw the power of it once I started, you know, really getting in front of the, of the right people. And that's, that's what marketing is all about. Not just spamming people, you know, show, showing people what you can do and letting them make the choice. Yeah, it's very much, uh, you know, get, provide value, show what it is. And if they're interested, like you, you have to get the attention first. You know, that's like the biggest thing Like you still have to get in front of somebody, but yeah, outside of that, like the goal is essentially make sure you see me. This is what I have. If you like it, help out. If not, share. Next. Right, right, right. <laughs> and it's like, uh, that, like um, our first couple Kickstarter slash or crowd. I'll just say crowdfunding because we did it on a couple platforms. Mm-hmm. Our first couple uh, crowdfunding efforts were definitely uh, <laughs> not not very effective, and that was probably one of the biggest reasons was that um, a we didn't have a following, and b we didn't actively go out and try to get in front of people as uh, aggressively as we should have. And uh, Greg, Greg knows this because uh, there's a, um, a launch plan that essentially is meant for launching products, businesses, etc. But I, I basically, it's from a, a book um, called The $100 Startup by Chris Gillibo. And it's, it's a, an amazing little checklist. It's like 39 steps to take before launching. And right, it leads right. up to everything, including um, the very end. I think technically there's actually 40 steps because at the end it says, that one of the steps is to make sure you always provide a little extra something like that right right, right. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so basically all all greg did was follow that checklist this time not everything was applicable to a crowdfunding campaign but i think it was like 21 of the items were and because of that like we, we hit like almost halfway to our goal in like the first uh, couple of weeks like we were trying to figure out what to do with our next uh with the stretch goals the stretch goals what the hell do we do (laughs) right 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 well that's something i mean you you learn a lot from doing it and i did too i just um i knew it wasn't going to be able to to get made unless i i got more money i just didn't have enough and um i i you know i saw some things that were working for other people's comics and then you know i started trading some pledges with people um be like hey you buy my stuff i'll buy your stuff i started doing that and that gave me a little bit of a jump and i figured well if i could find a way to get more people to donate i could push it up in the feed and then when i started doing that that was when i started selling the advertising and started pulling more money so were you and doing then, actual, uh, facebook ads or twitter ads or no, I um, I use Facebook. I spread it around in a lot of the groups. I'm a member of just about every hard group that's on Facebook, and I um, uh, just shared it. You know, I, I got permission from the administrators. I said, hey, I'm not trying to spam the group, but this is a really good project. You know, I'd like to share it in the group once a week. You do that so they don't kick you out, because if you get suspended for spamming on Facebook, um, you know, <laughs> you, you're, you, you could get sunk real quick. But with Twitter, it was more of, um, you know, there's four or five people that just read and retweet everything that I, I put out there. They've always read my articles. They've always shared my articles and stuff like that. It's like, hey, I need you guys help with this campaign. Just share it like it's the plague. And um, every day in the notifications, I would I would usually have, you know, maybe between six and ten a day on average. Uh, during the campaign, I was having like 25 and 30 because it just kept retweeting and retweeting. And the more it was retweeting, I saw the traffic increase on the campaign. And, that's, you know, that's when the money started coming up. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's uh, uh, I, I, we mentioned in previous podcasts, but the thousand true fans, the, the whole concept of having somebody that no matter what you put out there, they're going to cons- consume it, buy it, you right, know, right. Uh, support it. And so it's definitely good to have uh, basically a support staff <laughs> on right, right, right. the media. 
does. Well, something <laughs> something I did when I used to write for the Bloodshed when I first started writing, I would do like um, pieces, and I started interviewing and um, uh, doing you know interviewing uh, directors of screeners, horror shorts, different indie horror films, and um, I would I would get the, the work out there and then promote their company a bit, you know, just just you know because I'm promoting my own writing, but at the same time I'm helping the director reach their audience more so i gained a lot of allies in the field doing that and uh you know of course they all pledged uh back when i ran my kickstarter and, and most likely will on the next one but they also are very receptive to um my opinion on their work so um like a, a friend of mine richard roundtree who who directed uh the horror film dogged and uh the home invasion film nefarious he sent me the uh, screener before it was edited and, and ready to uh, start being, you know, the final stages of production uh, with Dogged because he, he wanted to know, you know, what I thought and how, how the, um, uh, the, the film was shot, how it was written and stuff like that. So I think people out there see that um, I'm very involved in the community and they respect my opinion more than say just like an online critic. Cause I don't, I don't like, you know those reviews where people are pretentious and they think it's just edgy to blast people's work you know i always want to say to them Where, where's your movie where's your comic you know you think uh for example you know rob zombie rob, rob zombie can get some criticism i get it you know not, not everybody's a fan of his style and everything but you know have you made six horror movies have you have you had you know two bands that have been that successful i don't think it's really fair for people to do that so if uh, if i see something and i like it i'm definitely going to praise it and get it out there because i think other people should should see it and that's pretty much been my style for that and um interviewing people you know artists um uh different creators comic creators too uh, just anybody that's doing anything that i think is cool in the field i used to write a lot of interviews like that and publish them on the bloodshed and get it out there as well so that that it was like um you know planting a seed that i'm definitely harvesting from now over a couple of years of doing that you really start to meet a lot of people and gain a lot of connections with different directors and stuff like that so it's um that's been just as valuable as target marketing yeah oh, absolutely yeah and it's funny uh i was i after i uh, showed our first comic to um some people and got some feedback uh one one of them actually wants to write their own comic and they were right, getting right. like overly critical and i go thank you for the feedback but like you know i like just i want these certain i want these certain notes and uh when they started getting so critical i go well it's better than your comic because they don't yeah, have to no. create it <laughs> and it's like yeah, so it's definitely, it is funny because, uh, you know, you got to take um, criticism to be able to improve your work, but definitely when you start getting that one where it's just like overly critical or it's just like, oh, this doesn't, when, when you can tell it's just because it's not for them, it's like, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, I want constructive feedback, not just uh, teardowns. It's something I can do with it. Yeah, that's that, that, that's what it's all about. You know, it's it, everybody has an opinion these days, and to me, some people's opinions are, are valid and some of them aren't, whether they think they are or not. You know, there's certain people that I go to for advice about things. There's certain people, you know, not everybody read my, my uh, not everybody that read my comic liked it. You know, it didn't get panned, but it does it does have some weaknesses. But there's there's reasons for them too. You know, the, it, it does have some pacing issues because it was written as a film and and it was a uh, you know supposed to be adapted into a longer graphic novel. But my artist was was taking so long with everything um, because, you know, well, there's a lot of reasons for it, but there was, you know, I was forced to edit it and change the story of it. So like the first act and the second act um, move 
slower than the third act, which I understand, but the whole story does get told. But, you know, to say that this doesn't work or it doesn't fit well and it makes the comic bad just simply isn't true. Um, there's good writing behind this, and the artwork is amazing. Like I said, it does take a long time, but God, it was worth it, man. My artist did an amazing job on this, just with um, everything that she put into it and how it was organically made with how I wrote it and then explained how I wanted the storyboards to look and what I wanted then the panels to have, and then her taking what I said and putting her own spin on it was just perfect you know there wasn't really anything other than a couple typos that we had to go back and fix there wasn't any point where it was like no this isn't this doesn't look right like it just the, the whole thing just looks fantastic yeah that's awesome it's funny too because uh greg definitely uh greg, greg understands the uh the con the issue with going from screenplay to comic right so, it's it, difficult like, man it's difficult well, well his original story was basically written like a novel that was then converted into a screenplay and then oh wow then the screenplay was converted into uh, a comic, and so there's some like rough edges that uh, basically I've kind of become like the the editor in chief, having to review stuff and go like, hey, I know where you're going with this, but you're missing some stuff. And right. So when we first our first comic, when we got it into the hands of um, our artists, like some of it just didn't quite flow. Like we like the the, the very first one. It was just like the very first rendition of it just didn't really work out at all. It's like this doesn't quite make sense. And even right, after we right. did it, there's still some like little gaps that we need to fix. And uh, but it's definitely a difficult task. But now that now that um, we've printed it out, we've gotten all the feedback from the first one. Um, <laughs> currently, uh, we just finished reviewing the um, the solo series that we're going to be printing, and that's because we got the uh, third stretch goal i forgot which stretch goal that one was yeah. no, it was the third yeah the third for yeah it was uh, yeah yeah i remember it <laughs> <laughs> so so we i i just finished with greg going over the entire script and uh basically the original panels were sent to the artist they were drawn up and then after reviewing how they were drawn up some of it didn't quite flow with the story so we actually switched it so now it's going to be um like it takes like place yeah uh, kind of story where there's where the uh the character is actually going to be like you know you know those box bubbles that it's kind of like th he's narrating in the background that's kind of right, how we're right, going right, through right. it to help some of the um the panels flow better with each other so they make a little more sense and yeah. now after like reading through it it's like this actually even though it didn't make sense from the drawings to what we originally had now it actually looks and sounds pretty awesome, so we're yeah. really, uh, excited to get that work out there. Yeah, the, the narration uh, panels are pretty powerful, and they can link... Uh, see, what I found with writing comics, especially since, like, the same thing, this wasn't written as a comic, what I, what I see a lot of people do is um, the comic is so riddled with dialogue that you can't see the art very well. And yeah. I was trying to say the most with least, if you know what I mean. And I was trying to use the narration panel sparingly, but to set the setting because the story itself is told in a flashback, but you don't realize that until the last page of the comic. Um, the narration panels were able to tie the um, protagonists together with the character-driven story and set it up for what was about to happen. Yeah, so I, that was something that that was a challenge for me because I've worked on one page that has maybe 15 words on it 
I worked on that for about a month because I couldn't figure out how to do it, and then finally it just hit me. It was when the characters were leaving out of the woods after they stashed the um, alcohol from that beer run, and then they went to the arcade to find out it was closed, yeah. which was something else I had to rewrite, too, because in the screenplay, the, the arcade isn't closed. There's another character that I wasn't able to put in the comic, and it was somebody, because I'm not an actor, but he's going to have, uh, he has memorable lines in the story, so if I ever do make this into a film, I want to play him. And um, when, the ki when the guys show up at the place, he's shutting it down because they're having power failures, and they were told by mall security that they need to, to close the place up. And that's when they... They decide, all right, well, what are we going to do now? You know, they, they're all, they've been drinking and smoking weed and everything all day, and now they're like, okay, well, there's no tournament to play. Let's just go out to the woods and party. And that's when they go out in the woods, and the dude just gets grabbed and bit, and they they don't realize what's going on, and they look around. They're just completely uh, um, surrounded by zombies. And that's when it, uh, you know, it pops off. And then the story shifts, as you remember, where they save that, that little girl, and then... Um, it revolves around uh, trying to protect her towards the end, and then you realize that this entire story, when it colorizes, is actually what she remembers from it and how it happened. And um, 20 years later, it's uh, that's the way the, the world is. That's why she's putting flowers on the grave of the guy who saved her. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Very cool, but yeah, definitely, uh, the, yeah, the narration bubbles is definitely something that we're probably going to start utilizing more. I actually um, originally got the idea because I was looking through um, uh, IT Comics, the Impact Theory Comics. Uh, they have Neon Future. And after going through it, I realized one of the things that made it um, so interesting was right in the beginning, there's like a whole block of narrative, like just text. Like, it, right. it's got a cool background and stuff, but other than that, it's just a block of text. And that sets you up for the first page that seems out of nowhere. So as opposed to seeming out of nowhere, you have context before you ever see any artwork. Right, so right. It's kind of an interesting concept. And then throughout the beginning of the artwork, it kind of just lets you enjoy the artwork without there being people talking. And there's a lot of narration bubbles talking about what's going on. And I was right, like, right. that's a pretty good concept. So we kind of, you know took that and we're spreading that throughout this this uh upcoming comic so it'll be it'll be interesting to see how how it looks when it's actually all colored and lettered and stuff but uh yeah i, I like uh, that i like that that concept of it because it's it, like like i said before you're going to say more with less and it's really going to set the setting for the comic and for the pages of of you know when when the story starts to change a little bit and develop it, you know you're going to already have that preset in the reader's mind which is um you know that's what, what comics is all about. That's one of the reasons why I'm not a, a big fan of uh, superhero movies because they just can't touch the universe that I created in my mind since I was a kid watching, you know. I mean, some of them are visually uh, good or, you know, they're well-written or well-acted, you know. I mean, Deadpool was really great. But um, it was, uh, it's just something that's not, um, it, it just can't touch the medium, you know. There, there's, you just can't take one and, and make it into the other because you can do that, um kind of stuff in a comic that you can't do in a film oh 100 that's that's why it's funny because like uh marvel does a uh what they do a good job for what they can do right um, because of the fact you're right they're limited like honestly it'd be great to get like seven iron man movies before you ever see them him introduced into like avengers but like literally due to time the age of the actors like because right. age over the over uh the years like it's it's not something you can physically do in a short amount of time maybe in the future when cgi is exceedingly fast but in the yeah. meantime like it takes quite a while to do that stuff 
but it takes uh, a long time to create and a whole lot of money because you got a lot you got to pay a lot of people you know and it's um it's something that if it's compromised it just looks really bad it doesn't yeah, which, which ironically that's why the, the dc we talked about that on another episode that's the reason the dc uh you know franchise right now has just been like or not franchise, whatever it's called, you know, just hasn't been universe, doing universe. Because, yeah, the DC but, universe just hasn't been doing great because they didn't even attempt to do it the way that like Marvel did, which was definitely the best alternative to making comics into movies, like building up a character and then joining them. They were just like, here's a character, here's another, and they're all into the same movie. And it's like, who the right, hell? Right, right. Why do I well, care about the, six other characters? The thing with DC too is they're not going to change that formula because if you look at the budget and the and the money that it's making, you know that's why all these films are getting remade. They're not trying to make a good film; they're trying to to make money. And I get it, you know. And and with DC, until people stop watching it, they're they're not going to change the formula. It's, you know? it's just like those damn video games where people keep pre-ordering them. It's like stop it! You keep pretending right. that they <laughs> suck, but you keep giving them money before it even comes out. That's why they mm-hmm. keep doing it. Yep. It's like just like let let them fail one time and they'll see their wrong ways. Like Call of Duty, I know that um like was it like the Infinite Warfare and Advanced Warfare, two of the relatively newer ones. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. bad that their newest one is ridiculous. Like I played the beta version of it, and even though there was bugs, like I was like, this is a different game. Like this is incredible, and yeah. it's because they had a couple of flops, and they like they needed to change, but like. You know, for so long they just people kept buying the same damn game remastered over and over and over again. And yep. it's like they're never going to change. Why would they? They're making yeah. money. Well, they, the Resident Evil Two remake did very well, and I'm hoping that they're going to have more horror remakes of games. Uh, they're talking about you know putting out another Silent Hill. Um, the the Resident Evil Two remake. I mean, that that game was pretty terrifying. Just um, how it was uh, set up inside of the police station when you have your flashlight and you just can't see anything and you're going around corners and you just see hands coming out to get you like and then the sounds and the background sounds and the like having playing it on with surround sound i mean it is a very intense game and i always like that because it's you know there's a lot of puzzles and things you have to solve and um you know the complaint you always have is like oh wow i just got six bullets now i gotta fight two bosses in a row you know because you never have enough ammo <laughs> to survive <laughs> but uh playing that game was a lot of fun because it just looked so much um, more realistic because of graphics, um, you know, technology ad- advancing over the past 20 years, but it still had that same feel of the original Resident Evil 2 of uh, just claustrophobia and fear and, and not being able to get away. And that's something like, especially with horror games and zombies, that's that's really the main fear behind it. Oh, yeah. That's, it's funny, too. I think uh, the horror genre for video games kind of came back pretty hard after VR came out for a little bit. Like, because VR still exists, but not a lot of games are coming out for it. But there were a couple of uh, horror VR games they made that, like, damn. Like, they're like five. They're like, some of them are like little five minute demo games that are still terrifying just because right. they're so immersed in it. And I think that, like, those, along with, like, the Escape the Rooms, like, the in real life mm-hmm. ones that they've created. Like, that's kind of brought this horror genre back uh, from the dead, <laughs> right? From, right, 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 right. So it's, like, it, it's very cool to see it. Um, like, it, they had all the, the great, like, you know, Friday the 13th, Halloween, all those older ones. And then it kind of seemed like a lot of them just became, like, um, like Saw. Like, that was one that came out that was, like, holy crap. But, like, yeah. a bunch, bunch between those and Saw and after Saw that kind of were, like, 
they were just meant to be gory. They weren't actually that scary. Right, right, right. Like, you know, now, now because they're trying to, the, the graphics are better. Stuff like VR that's allowing you to get more fully immersed. It's mm-hmm. very cool to see that stuff, uh, you know, coming back. Oh yeah, it's definitely, and there's a huge market out there for it too. So, it, I, I'm thinking over the next five years, you're gonna you're gonna see a really big resurgence of um, uh, hard video games. What I'm surprised is with the success of Rocket League that they haven't tried to bring Twisted Metal back, man. They, you know, I like, know the, the, the that, sweet, I, I love Rocket League. I, I like, it, but they, it's they, had twist, tw- they had a sweet tooth in it, and it was like this. Like Rocket League is like if you nerfed. Um, twisted metal and added soccer. Right, right. That's, that's all it is. Like, <laughs> that's added, exactly what it is. <laughs> they, they added a game mode called Rumble, and it oh, it's almost exactly like the same concept. But again, you can you know your car can fly. But like, right, right, so right. It, it's such like that. Like honestly, that's like one of my favorite games ever made now because it's so simplistic and enjoyable. Like mm-hmm. even when you, like unless you're doing competitive. If you're just playing standard mode, even when you're losing, it's fun because it's just a ridiculous game. It's yeah, it's it's all about timing and uh, momentum, and just getting you know getting your your vehicle at that right spot to hit the ball. But the um, the 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 it's just fun. Like I don't, I don't know any other way to describe it, man. Driving up and down the sides of the wall and then jumping out and smacking the ball across, or when you when you slide and like drift right in front of the goal and save that goal, and then everybody on your team's like, oh, you know, that's it's just a lot of fun to play. But uh, yeah, I miss the Twisted Metal franchise, man. They, they had something there. And uh, car combat games in general, like uh, Vigilante Eight, that was a good one too, and it had a really good story where they were fighting over the fuel uh, during the fuel crisis in the seventies, and it was just um, a really fun game to play plus you can be a school bus on that thing and um you know you get that thing going down the hill and then you rip the e-brake and it goes sideways and just plowed through everything a lot of fun a lot of fun <laughs> it's actually interesting i'm actually curious who still owns twisted metal because um recently uh, i think it was a couple like two or three years ago they um it was the unreal engine 4 became open source right. along yep. with uh you know you had like unity and uh, a couple other um uh, program, uh, what is it, developers, um, IDEs, there we go, that you can build games off of. And this, so it'd be interesting, because if Twisted Metal is, like, open open uh, to play with now, or, right, if right. like, you know, it'd be interesting to see if some uh, indie creator could re- rebuild that game now. You know, that'd be pretty interesting to check out. I mean, all they got to do is take the controls from the second one, um, the whole platform, it's just everything with that one, all the sequels that they make, I mean, some of them looked better, but that game itself with the interactive um, uh, environments just on PlayStation 1 were, were just really, it, it was a lot of fun. Like, we, we would stay up, my best friend and I would stay up all night just drinking beer, playing playing that game, and it was, um, you know, we'd never stop. We'd play for like eight, nine hours. It's like, all right, well, we got to stop now to eat, get some sleep, <laughs> and then we're going right back to it. You know, there, there's games out there like Grand Theft Auto and stuff that you can get immersed in pretty well too. But Twisted Metal was just fun, and it was something like with with online multiplayer mode now, like it really should be brought back so people can play it. I mean, put put the second one out there for free, and then charge people for uh, the better content, the better cars, like they do with Apex and the other games. You know, yeah, like, that, yeah, that seems to be the new thing too. I was gonna say that's why Rocket League is so effective because like someone like me, I don't buy anything in the game. I'll trade with people to get it. 
Right. But the point is that I still promote the crap out of that game. So even though I only bought the game once and they keep giving, like, they, like, they added, like, six different modes to the game for yeah. free. It's, like, the part that they make the money on is the people that want to support it. So, like, I think there was twice that I bought something and I didn't need it. I just, I wanted to give them money for being so awesome. I was like, right, right. Like, 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 what is it, that then fry? Shut up and take my money, right? Like, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely cool. Yeah, spe- speaking of uh, just the horror genre, what actually got you interested in horror genre? Like, what, what's uh, what was that first little taste that got you into it? <laughs> uh, late night shock theater when I was a kid. Um, the um, old classic horror films, really. Uh, you know, Universal, big Universal fan, uh, big fan of um, pre-code horror films like you know Frankenstein, Dracula, Freaks. I'm a big Tom Browning fan. My opinion, that film should have launched his career, not ruined it. Um, it was uh, something that was recognized later um, as an actual important piece of American cinema. But really watching those older classic horror films and um, recently, you know, watching White Zombie with um, a friend, she said, you know, he, uh, Lugosi's creepier in this film than he was in Dracula. And that was an independent film and very successful for its time, too. And having... Um, a zombie as a mindless victim controlled by somebody else with having the lead very creepy was effective. And, uh, you know, going back to Romero, he was, um, who made the zombie into a monster that you just can't get away from. And that was something that, you know, seeing night of the living dead when I was young and being terrified from that film as well, made me want to see more horror films. And, um, you know, I'm a fan of most stuff. I, I, the, gore and the blood and guts and everything it doesn't scare me like i i've seen so many french and italian exploitation films from the 70s when i was a kid that make that crap look like sesame street to me it's just not it's not scary and um there's a lot of films out there that are a lot uh more scary that don't get the recognition they deserve like personally i found the witch to be one of the best films horror films made over the past couple years a lot of people didn't like it but i thought it was uh very good you know with the way it was filmed in its time it was shot very well it was written very well for what it was and um it was it was pretty scary but for me as influence for horror films definitely goes back to classic horror moving into the slasher uh, genres you know the friday the 13th the halloweens um the nightmare on elm streets you know more friday the 13th than halloween but the um it all started from the classics definitely the classics that's awesome because uh it's it, it is always interesting to see like how people get into that stuff because uh yeah horror can definitely be like some people like the the just the blood and gore and so that's also why they like it but right. it is cool to you know like yeah like you mentioned like the video game ones like getting like the claustrophobic like getting that feeling knowing you're safe it's almost like riding a roller coaster you know what i mean like you get that fear without the uh the danger <laughs> right right well i mean the biggest heart exists in your mind you know if you read a lot of Stephen King books compared to the films. Like, I think they did a pretty good job on um, it, but the book was still scarier. And um, pretty much all of his, his work has been better by book, in my opinion, that um, it, you just, you know, when you read something, it, it's in your mind, and um, you're seeing... I don't know how to explain it. It's like, like your uh, interpretation. It's like whatever you... Like, yeah. When they describe something scary... A movie might show it one way, but that's not how you would have pictured it if you read it. Because if you right. read it one way, your mind goes to the scarier one for you. And so, yeah, it's it's cool that you, you're basically the story is manipulated based on the reader and their fears. 
Exactly, exactly. I'm glad you said it for me because I wouldn't have been able to say it better. But that's also something I... Right. That's also something I like about comics, too. Now, I'm a big fan of uh, gore and comics. You know, I love the Vault of Horror and the old DC comics and stuff. But that's a little different. You know, you're taking um, artistic talent and ability and making something visually appalling to the reader to really um, scare them, depending on what the story is all about. Um, that's something that I like about comics in general, because it's, it's better than a film and a book, because it's a, a book of illustrations. So at the same time, you know, you're seeing it, but you're you're in your head a little bit more about what's going on in the universe around you. Only part of that universe is presented to you through the pages of the comic. That's what um, I found when transferring it to the from a film to a book. Yeah, that, that's definitely like the hardest part because it's almost like walking through a movie and it's like, when do I take the picture? What, what, what moment is the moment that captures a in one photo, right? Yep. Like that's kind of like that, that. That's like what we were doing with uh, with Greg's um, screenplay. Like we had to like look through it, and it's like you have six motions in this one thing. How can we break <laughs> this up into like one to three panels so that we get the gist of what's going on and get all the emotion without having to, you know, compromise the fact that there's more that should have gone on. Yeah, that's. Uh... It's difficult to do, man. It, t- it takes a lot of um, uh, it takes a lot of passion, and it takes a lot of cr- uh, creativity and ability to be able to write stuff like that, man. It's um, see, I can't I can't draw for shit, so I respect the hell out of artists too. But I mean, writing is its own different animal, man. A lot of people don't realize that that's why they don't become writers, you know, because it's it's a very difficult thing to do, and it's 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 something that is a good creative outlet outlet, but at the same time, like there's a lot more to it with structure. And uh, being able to tell an actual story without it, um, you know, getting away from you. So if you start writing one scene, uh, that could wind up somewhere else in the book or in the comic or even in the film, you know, depending on what you're writing, because you intended it to be here, but then you wrote something else that it doesn't work with, so you kind of have to move things around. That's why, like, even with uh, uh, music, there's, you know, very few uh, actual singers or songwriters and performers. Like right. most, most of the singer songwriters are, you know, not people that are big. Like there's very few people that do both, and those right. are those are like the rare few. Typically, it's a performer who is talented in the expression of the song, and then somebody who is capable of writing a song with the words that you. Yeah, so you have people like Bob Dylan that is a really great songwriter and thinks he can sing, and he tries, <laughs> but it sounds really bad. But um, yeah, like like with writing music too. I mean. Uh, I'm a big Fleetwood Mac fan, and the song The Chain um, has a bass line in the middle of uh, the riff right before the guitar solo. That was actually written to be the uh, intro of the song, but they wound up sticking it in later. So that, that happens, too, with writing music. Something that you write to be like a chorus might actually be the intro riff, depending on the genre. Nah, that's very cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Here, Greg, you got that next one. Yeah. Um, I... Uh, I'm actually trying to make a slasher comic, like it's inspired by like 80s slasher movies, and um, nice. but like make it original. I don't want to like copy things from like Nightmare on Elm Street or anything. Um, I asked a couple months ago from a couple of creators, and then a few got interested in it, and then they kind of I like created a small group for just that comic. Uh, 
like conversation and there's one guy that's right now writing with me for that it's gonna be like an anthology thing but uh he actually was like wondering how are we gonna make a slasher comic when like you can't it can't be like a slasher movie like you can't do jump scares so like how would you like make it still disturbing and like scary to a reader without jump scares um good question i guess if i was writing it i would start it off in a um situation where people are conversing and regardless of the conversation after a couple pages in just show the slasher and just just have them brutally murdered you know uh like alfred hitchcock said make the audience suffer as much as possible you know jar them have you know regular people maybe a man and a woman a couple in an apartment you know uh like even alfred hitchcock style you know have it have it like a noir setting and then they just get brutally attacked and murdered for reasons unknown that will be told later that's how i would start it um i would put a backstory in it like halfway through say like five years ago and then show why the guy's a killer depending on if he's like a supernatural force like uh michael myers is presented or if he's just a psychopath with a knife you know it's um it depends on the actual story um i would write out um an outline for it and see like if you have an idea of the plot and the setting and what you want to do but might not have the story all pieced together that's okay but you can outline it and see where you want to go within and then take the characters that are in it and they don't have to have a lot of development obviously because they're going to get killed but the um they have to have some and then i would create and write around what they are inside their environment for example like if if you're talking about a couple and uh, the guy's a banker and the girl's a real estate agent obviously they're gonna have a really nice
tells the story. You know, that's that's the trick with uh, comic writing is you gotta you gotta pair both of them together. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, I like that idea. Yeah. One sec. Is there, you get the next one? Yeah, okay. we go off on like tangents and right, right, right. the questions are more talking points. They're not actual questions because there's people that ask me, even you, um, they're like, so I don't really know how I'm going to keep a conversation going. I'm like, no, we'll keep a conversation going. <laughs> and, also, uh, you know, uh, Greg, your mic's a little covered again. Is that good? You, you sound like super muffled. How do I sound super muffled? Is that good? That's better. Yeah. I'll yeah, just hold better. my laptop. Okay. <laughs> what the fuck? Um, but, uh, yeah, so you got, do you have Anchor back up? Yeah. Um, can you hear me? What? Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, oh, that's weird. Um, where the fuck is the mic on this thing? <laughs> um, yeah, actually for that slasher comic, there's a... How the story is, because like an anthology, it's going to be more than one slasher, because... Um, and it's different time periods. So mine is going to be in the nineties or eighties. I think, I think mine's the eighties. Uh, no, mine's the nineties. Cause I made like the clothing kind of like nineties clothing. Um, nice. That, I mean, my comic takes place in the nineties. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of period pieces. I like the nineties cause that's when I grew up and right. best stuff came out then. Um, personally, I think, um, so my portion port portion portion of the comic uh takes place uh at a camp because my favorite horror movie like series is friday the 13th so right. i'm kind of building off of that in a way but it's not gonna be jason but it's gonna be something like that um then the other guy that's uh writing he is doing something with a cabin or something then there's another guy and all the stories come together because the anthology so it all connects to this like one reason like why uh this like town is like hidden and it's like um nobody actually knows it exists and you like sin or something something happens right. and you end up in that town and you're like stuck there and then you sounds, sounds like uh kind of like american horror story yeah in a way yeah, yeah. so um but like written better so uh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, so it's basically kind of like that. Um, so, now to move on, uh, we have that Indie Revolution like magazine coming out next year, because yeah. first it was just a hashtag that we created with a couple of creators, and then I decided like one day at work, because there's nothing else I can do at work besides think, is um, what can I actually do with this besides just being a hashtag? So I came up with this idea for a magazine, and it's going to have, like, indie musicians, comic creators, writers, uh, whatever, in it. And I was just wondering what you would put in the magazine that, like, should be actually included in it. Um, It sounds like you want to do a magazine where it showcases people's work. I would follow the same structure of... um maybe like Fangoria does just um, talk, you know, interview the person to do like, um, like a short 
couple paragraph interview, one or two pages, and then just um, showcase their their art. Um, if they're a musician, you know, talk about the genre a little bit, um, you know, where they're from, and just um, let let them talk about their music and what inspired them, and just kind of piece the whole thing together like that. Um, I don't really know what else uh, you could do. You could sell advertising in it. To yeah, I was actually it. thinking um, that too. Yeah, yeah. They, like, like I mean, everybody. I would on... definitely, I would definitely pay to put uh, my work in there <laughs> to have you know just just you know here order here or, or you know see this here or yeah. just have the cover of the comic. But I think that uh, I think a lot of people will be receptive to it too. Actually, yeah, they yeah. want to be in the comic. That, that just made me think about it, Greg. We should, if uh, before we get into that too, we should reach out to companies like Ready Comics because I'm sure yep. that they'd be interested in reaching out or reaching indie creators that are all that could potentially all be following this magazine oh well i was gonna use them to print it anyway so <laughs> i was gonna use ready comics to print it anyway yeah so that's yeah, yeah. That's the thing. so um <laughs> but uh don't pay to advertise it ready comics well uh comics wellspring i mean they they even give you uh, pri- uh price breaks when you advertise yeah. their comic in it they're all about getting uh their name out there because yeah. they want to specialize like they do posters and cards and stuff too but they really want to be in the business of printing indie indie comics so yeah yeah we, we, we had a chat with their their owner about that uh trying to be like their um basically their funnel so if we bring them enough uh indie creators we're hoping that we can uh build discounts for indie creators who are ordering smaller smaller uh quantities but right, right. we want to get it so frequently that they're able to cut the cost on those small quantities Gotcha. Um, even though they can't get the bulk orders that they would be looking to get. Right. Which well, like... if, you, if you have a, um avenue for people to sell more on your website, um, that, that might give the opportunity for independent artists to be able to produce more comics so that because they're selling more of them. You know, yeah, like th- th- yeah, there's there's two things we're trying to do with that. The first thing we did was we created a uh, <coughs> A, uh, a, a was it a contact form? Yeah, and basically. So, not not to bust on Ready Comics, but their website for ordering comics is extremely uh, dizzying. Right. <laughs> and so I know I was going to go through them. I wound up going through Comics Wellspring because they called me back and kind of walked me through it. Since it was my first comic and I was all ready to do it, I was really confused with a lot of stuff. And I'm not. I'm not. I mean, I can be tech savvy, but you know, I never really used Dropbox before or anything like that. Everything I've done was through uh, jpeg and uh, had all the files together i just didn't know how to do it and you know they called me up they talked to me on the phone then they sent me the digital proofs and i mean they did a fantastic job i mean the comic it just it, it's it's a grayscale for most of it with some deep saturation of red and black and like it looks better in a hard copy than it does as a digital copy like they, they really did a good job but i mean if, i'm sure ready comics can do a good job too but they were you know Comics Wellspring was the one who called me back and spent an hour with me on the phone telling me what to do, so that's why I went with them. Yeah, that, that's actually why we're trying to hope, uh, like hopefully work with Ready Comics in a way that we can we can basically be the middleman to make all of that easier for creators. Like, So we, we create a contact form that simplifies all of the stuff that you would need to fill out there, and essentially right, right. we would be the ones that order it through Ready Comics, and that way they're only dealing with us, and that way, like, because the more we utilize them, the easier they'll be to work with. And so right, right. if everyone's just getting funneled through us, that'd be a lot easier. And then the other yep. thing um, we were going to do is once we get enough uh, feedback on certain comics, uh, we're going to create a print store or a, uh, a store on our website that you can order prints from. 
Right. Uh, we're going to start it by keeping it a little bit more uh, exclusive, where only a few creators get to go in there. And by doing that, it'll be something like, you know, say you, your particular comic is drawing a lot of attention, then we'll put yours in the print category. That right. way, it, it encourage you, encourages people to want to promote their comic. Because we, we do have a couple of creators who we have their comic up, but they don't promote it at all, so they don't get any views. And right, you know, right. they, like, we already have a few people that are paying for the subscription, but if, if nobody views your comic, you won't be one of the people that gets paid. So it's like, right, right. that's kind of like what we're trying to, uh, you know, really push is like something that will get people to promote it. Because, you know, even a small promotion, again, like, you know, comic book creator A could push someone to the site and they might only view comic book creator C's work. But the right, point right. comic book creator C also does it, they might view A. And so we're hoping that if we get enough people to keep pushing people there, that uh, that'll be a great way to actually get that done. And, yeah, that, uh, yeah, that's what I was saying before about having the store, too. It, that's definitely going to help uh, uh, people promote the site and everybody else's work at the same time. I mean, if you have comics on there, I mean, when, when you first put up my... Uh, uh, the digital version of my comic, man, I was all over that, you know, and, and I kind of got away from it just because of time of my work schedule and, and writing and everything else that I'm doing. But I mean, I, I definitely want to spend a couple hours a week just promoting the fact that it's there because it, it helps get more subscriptions. It helps get more views of the site and everything else. And when you have a bunch of people doing that, it's um, very valuable. It's, yeah, it's all it's, about marketing. Like yeah, like, about. like the long-term goal of that is that if, if we get enough people in a group to do that that eventually if our if our business's income gets to a level that we have uh spare cash that's not just being used to pay for hosting and website stuff right, right. uh once we get to a certain revenue level we can actually then start being the promoters as well like we'll where we'll take our own revenue and pay for facebook ads there you go. So that's our goal. It's like if we if we just get enough people in the beginning to promote it on their own, so that we get a uh, large enough following. That's what our mm -hmm. goal is to essentially we're helping as much as we can for free, like by sharing people's content and promoting it, um, you know, over our you know social media accounts. But we're hoping that as we build our website up, then eventually we can even have uh, we can amplify that through stuff like Facebook ads, Google ads, uh, things like that, where we can actually uh, grow. Um, the site as a whole, which will hopefully help all of the individual creators. Absolutely. Uh, hey, count me in. Whatever you need. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah, it's a great idea. I mean, everything you guys are doing is great. I like I like all your ideas of of uh, uh, getting getting more indie uh, creators together. I mean, you know, with trying to get this comic in the shops, I'm finding out you know distribution isn't that easy if you don't go through Diamond. Then you. You know that's a huge risk. You know yeah. you lose you lose a lot. But and if they only put you in a couple stores, you're locked up with them. You can't really do it. So I've been doing more of a hands-on thing. Like I'm taking a trip up to uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey in November, and I'm going to try and get into some shops that I've been in contact with. Um, I had some other shops. You know they mostly they want to see the comic first, and they want to you know sit down and talk. And I'm thinking after a 15-minute conversation, I'll be able to make some kind of deal with them. Um, just like I got to send comics to people up there that um, uh, bought them during the Kickstarter anyway. So, and uh, my brother who actually didn't pledge to my Kickstarter, but he did uh, buy some comics from me. I'll just send them all to him and make him drive them over and deliver. <laughs> so yeah. that'll, that'll cut down on the shipping cost. Yeah, that's actually very cool because one of the things that we're trying to do is we're trying to get, we're trying to essentially like partner with certain creators who live in different cities 
right. so that if they're in contact with their local comic creators, we can essentially become uh, a source where, like, say they're like, "Hey, I want to get my comic to different create or different comic book stores." Right. Which uh, ones are you connected with? And essentially, by partnering with various creatives, instead, like you know, instead of just bringing your comic, maybe you can go, "Oh." I have six comics to bring, and that might be like uh, more advertising for the store, like where it's like, oh, like you're actually going to bring me a lot of stuff. It's not just right, right. you know one comic, because like, some some creators they physically can't, they don't have the time to create uh, several comics a year. So if they're only mm-hmm. doing one a year, or only a couple a year, but yet right, right. we had six people to do that, or six creators okay. to do that, then people can go to stores and be like, hey, we got a bunch, you know, here's and and even if you can't get yours in that store maybe someone else at, in one of our other spots can get it in that store and so right, essentially right. that's you know what uh we're looking to do good stuff good stuff and it also you know if you have the opportunity to get it in more stores you can order more than 100 copies and get a get the price down and then you can make a better deal for the shops some of them are independent and they can do whatever they want to do but a lot of them are tied up with distribution themselves that's what i'm finding out in this you know, th- this is my first comic too. You know, so this I'm still learning a lot of uh, different aspects of the business and trying to get it in. But so far, it's been well received by you know definitely the horror community loves it. Uh, George Romero fans pretty much adore it. Um, the uh, the comic shops and stuff that that it's starting to land into and that I have talked to here in Baltimore. <coughs> excuse me. Um, also have. Um, a record shop that's going to stock it and i'm trying to get it in this head shop where they sell like um vapes and, and pipes and stuff like that uh, they're they're talking about it too so there there's um you know there's a lot going on and it's not just comic book shops that can stock an independent comic you know uh the record record stores and with the vinyl resurgence you know i'm a, I'm a pretty avid vinyl collector so i got good relationships with all those business owners in the in the city and some in the county i've just been you know calling them up asking for help you know hey stock my comic Take it on consignment, see if it sells. You know, we'll work out a deal, or trade me records for it. You know, whatever. Um, but, but do do what you got to do to get it in there. But uh, you know, online sales have been good, and um, you know, with Comic Con coming this past uh, weekend here in Baltimore, I didn't have time to get a table. It was actually delivered Friday when Comic Con started on Friday. I knew I was going to push that window, and or I knew I might miss that window, so I didn't get a table. But I work right across the street from Comic Con. So everybody, you know, I work in a brewery right across the street. So everybody that came in, you know, they're all comic fans. I had them right there at my tables and everything that I was talking to. So I was like, here, check out my comic too. Man, I probably sold uh, 15 copies on that Saturday night just to the people coming in and out. So I know if I get, yeah, I was I was impressed, man. And then I sold them, you know, to everybody at work. But I know that if I get it in front of people in the right audience, it's it's going to be bigger than what, it, what it's uh, starting out to be. But I'm excited for it, and it's um, you know it's a really great piece of work. It's a fun read, especially this time of year, you know. And um, oh yeah, definitely. Uh, that, that, that's, you definitely want to push hard on that too. When when you get those little windows, like if you're writing a holiday piece, push it during those holidays. You know? Exactly. Yeah. That's very cool. No, definitely. Uh, that's very guerrilla marketing content. You know, uh, you know, type of stuff you're doing, which is awesome. Got to get a we got to get a blog article about that. So we got to. You know. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm down. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, you got to, trying to, trying to get it, trying to get it out there. I'm doing everything I can think of, you know, I'm pretty decent at, uh, online marketing, but if, you know, if I have shops in my area or somebody that's could potentially stock it, you know, I got to go to them and have a conversation with the, uh, with the owner. 
and I have I have good relationships with uh, you know people around here. Like I said, the record shops and uh, the comic shops and stuff like that too. And they know what I've I've been doing, and uh, they also see like that I help market their their stuff too. You know, I'm always plugging um, uh, Collector's Corner here in Baltimore, and uh, you know putting Canton Games out there on social media and stuff like that. Um, just trying to you know get more traffic to their shop, so they see that hey, if I put my comic in in if they put my comic in their shop, I can help them in other ways too. Just, you know, I'm not just, um, another customer that that's trying to get you to buy my book and stock it. Like I can actually do things to help your business grow just for you stocking. Yeah. So that's I, pretty I, much I just, the approach I'm taking. Yeah. I was just thinking, uh, one thing you could also do, not just for stocking it, but, um, I know that my, uh, when I, I had a barber when I was a kid that I went to all the time, he's still in the same city, but, uh, right. basically he had a whole cat, like a, just a t- uh, bookshelf of just comic books. That's actually how I got into comic books when I was much younger. Nice, and nice. Uh, it was funny because like I never actually owned any of my own comics. It's just whenever I went to get my haircut, I would just start filing through the new comics he had. Right, right. <laughs> and I was just thinking about that. If you have any like local barber shops, nothing that's you know like the you know uh, franchise type. type right, right, yeah. Yeah. That might be something. It's like, hey, can I slip this in your magazine rack? You know what I mean, like. Just put a couple in there, you know, that people can read while they're sitting down waiting to get their haircut. That's a cool way to, uh, you know, get your name out there. You know, that's a good idea, there. and there's I didn't, that's something I didn't even think about. But there's barber shops on almost every corner in Baltimore City, so yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty smart. Yeah, um, I, 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 there's like a whole book of guerrilla marketing tactics. Uh, that's definitely uh, <laughs> <laughs> definitely some little stuff like that. But give, giving yourself out for free in spots where it might be influential is very very valuable absolutely yeah like uh ink is based off of my tattoo artist and uh i'm actually gonna give him a couple copies and he's gonna just like have them at his like store so when like someone's friend is like just sitting there waiting for their friend to get tattooed they could just read it like sitting there so that's a good idea your ink's pretty badass dude i like the color combination (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah <laughs> um, yeah, tattoo shops, barber shops. Um, uh, uh, you know, that's why I said I, I'll go in the vape shops. And uh, obviously, I'm a vapor. You know, I was a cigarette smoker for 20 years. Vaping finally helped me quit five years ago. Uh, and now they're gonna but, make all the stupid laws. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, if people would stop uh, dying from smoking black market juice and letting the media get a hold of it, you wouldn't see that kind of shit. I, you know? I know the it's whole bullshit. Four, the whole four people or five people that it happened to. Right. Well, the problem is those jewel pods, man. They're really expensive, and uh, they're like, uh, I don't know, I guess they're like five bucks for every couple of days. It costs just as much as smoking cigarettes. So if you can get them on the street for $2, that's what people were doing, and they're made with a whole bunch of chemicals that have no business being in it, and people were having reactions to them. But the way the media jumped on it is just pretty ridiculous because they make it seem like it's it's uh, more deadly than tobacco now, and they got to get rid of it. they got to you know, yeah. take it out of everywhere. Yeah, I was actually kind of uh, disappointed, too. I saw an ad. I was running uh, on the treadmill, and there was, like, you could turn a TV on these treadmills. And I saw an ad from this, like, uh, pretty famous magician at the moment. He's not like like the uh, shock and awe ones, but just a good magician. And they were doing ads about, oh, kids that get on um, vape will get on uh, cigarettes, so make sure they don't get on vape. And it's like, that's... Like, yeah, marijuana is a, a gateway drug for heroin too, right? You know, <laughs> funny? Yeah, it's it's funny because there's a there's a. Did you ever hear of Adam ruins everything? Yes. Yeah, he actually does one on that. That most people that. Talk
the lie that actually ended up teaching people that there were other drugs and the D.A.R.E. program itself may have actually increased drug usage by letting oh, wow. people know that there was other drugs available. Mm-hmm. Like, people didn't know about it. Like, you weren't going to your, you know, your weed dealer and you're all of a sudden finding out that he's got heroin and you're like, sure, I'll just pop that in there, right? right. Like, it's a huge leap. And it's like, and it's the same with this vape thing. It's like, yeah, kids definitely should not be doing it. But if they're going to smoke cigarettes, I certainly would rather them smoke vapes. Like, it's so Well, as, as a 20-year smoker and then uh, starting to vape, I can tell you the difference in um, just after a couple weeks with, um, you know, the stuff starts breaking up in your chest and uh, coming out. It's very, uh, I'm a lot, I'm a lot healthier, not uh not smoking cigarettes um once all the you know i started coughing all the tar out and all that other shit i was able to run up the stairs faster and um you know i wasn't so winded all the time and um just my circulation like i sleep better it's it's a lot better and at this point i've weaned it off of the nicotine too so i just i just um hit it you know probably once every 15 20 minutes or whatever just because of the habit you know when when you're addicted to nicotine and the cigarettes and everything, it's, it's a physical habit, but it's also a psychological habit. And the, the vaping, there's there's nothing wrong with it. If you buy a reputable juice and you have a good tank, you keep your coils clean and everything, you don't get any problems, man. I've been doing it for five years. And like I said, I smoked cigarettes for 20. I started when I was really young, and I was having a whole lot of problems <laughs> because of it, man. I mean, like my asthma was completely, uh, you know, blocking. I was getting sinus infections all the time. I couldn't sleep. I would snore. I could, I just wake up in the morning, I always felt like shit because your circulation is so bad. And, uh, you know, there's nothing good about smoking cigarettes. And just just vaping is a whole different world. So when people start coming at me with that bullshit, I'm just like, dude, I got the experience and I know what's going on here. I also know how the media likes to lie. And that was something that they that they jumped on really fast, too. And I was like, zero percent chance that big tobacco wasn't paying to put those ads out there. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's it's one of those funny. You ever see the meme where it's like um, uh, Fred from uh, uh, Scooby Doo and he's he's got the the killer and he's like, well, let's see who this really is. And then (laughs) they're like vape news and he pulls off the mask and it's a Marlboro emblem underneath it. (laughs) Oh, 100%, yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's pretty stupid. But, you know, I have people say it to me all the time. It's like, you know, because I'll go out at work on the side of the building and vape for a few minutes uh, when I get stressed out. And people are like, oh, those things are going to blow up. They're going to kill you. I'm like, man, go, go back in the bar and get drunk. Like, you know, it's, it's ridiculous, dude. You don't even know what you're talking about. Give me your keys. Give me your keys. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, now, now that we've tangent off and tangent it off into uh, promoting vaping, <laughs> but, um, uh, that, yeah, I think I think it's good to call the podcast to quit. But uh, before we do, uh, we definitely want to make sure that everyone knows where to find you. So uh, um, on Twitter, you can find me at um, Bloodshed Myers, B L O O D S H E D M Y E R S. On uh, Facebook, uh, my Facebook page is The Open Casket, and all of them have links to my Etsy store where um, I'm currently selling my comics. I had a website set up for it. I put the cart before the horse, and I had the website set up last year and everything, and uh, my, my creator actually did it.
kind of like my thing. So it'll either be a past or a futuristic period piece, nothing really in the time we live in now. Besides, this shit's scary enough out here. You don't need to write about now when it comes to art. <laughs> so, well, that's awesome. But, uh, well, uh, yeah, definitely thanks for being on here. We'll cut the feed in just a second, and then uh, 